May we open our Bibles, please, to the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verse 35. Chapter 10, verse 35, the Gospel according to John. If he call them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified, and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not, but if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. I told you that I would bring a doctrinal message today in this series that I began at the time of the publication of the Look article, the Time magazine article, and these other articles at Easter on Is God Dead? And in this series, I have given to you the reasons that we believe that there is a God and the proofs which the church has always accepted and which the Bible presents to us that there is one God, living and true. I have also discussed with you the nature of that God. First, his being. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. I have discussed also the attributes of this God. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. I devoted a message to you on the whole question of the Trinity. We are a Trinitarian people. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The same in substance, they're equal in power and in glory. I explained to you that our knowledge of the Trinity was dependent entirely upon special revelation or the Bible. We know that there is a God from the works of creation. As the apostle told us in the book of Hebrews, every house is builded by some man. But he that built all things is God. And the creation gives every evidence that there is this infinite intelligence and mind and power and design and purpose in creation. But we do not learn that the true God is in three persons until he makes this known to us in the Holy Scripture. And when we say we are a Trinitarian people, a Trinitarian church, it means that we are a people who accept the revelation. We accept the Bible and what God has given us in this book. No place else can you find any ideas of this Trinity except in the Holy Scripture. Now, beloved, this text which I've taken this morning finds our Savior saying the Scriptures can't be broken. And in the compass of these few words, our Savior is appealing to the Scriptures He's appealing to himself, and he says, if you won't believe my word, at least I want you to look at what I'm doing, the works. 
And let the works that I do bear testimony to my person so that you will believe that I am the Son of God and that the Father sent me. Now, in this message dealing with the Incarnation, let's have an understanding that everything that we know about the Incarnation we have received by revelation. It's been given to us in the Bible. No other source of knowledge or information concerning the coming of the Son of God except in the Holy Scriptures. And everything that God wants us to know about His Son is in the Holy Scriptures. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And we are a people who obtain our knowledge from God as it relates to salvation, as it relates to his person, as it relates to an understanding of his work. As a matter of fact, we obtain the knowledge of our God in fellowship and in truth from his revelation, which we find in the Bible. And that is why the Bible is under such assault. That is why Satan has sought all through the centuries to discredit and attack the Bible. And then in these latter days, in our generation, these forces of unbelief have come within the circle and within the fellowship of the church to undermine confidence in this special revelation. Now what I'm going to tell you about the Incarnation, what I'm going to tell you about the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, everything that I tell you comes out of the Bible. No other place to find it, no other place to consider it. And this book, which we have called the Holy Scriptures, is a special, a divine communication which the Lord God of heaven and earth hath given to us. He's given it to us that in it we might know him, we might know his will for us. And the whole purpose of the giving of this special revelation is to the end that we might find God, that we might be saved, and that we might have the fellowship of the saints whom God has called into his kingdom. Beloved, we are a peculiar people. We believe things that the world knows nothing about. We delight in what God has been pleased to tell us. And once we've believed it, we've come into the glorious experience of being born again. We've become a child of God. And I said last night as I was preaching and the Spirit of God was moving and I saw this old man get up and take the Lord and I saw a woman break down and she just wept and she came to the Lord and I saw the Spirit of God move across that crowd out there on that cow pasture last night and I was just thrilled beyond words. But I know that it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that which we preach is what we have found in the Word of God. And it is the preaching of the Word. Where is it? It's nigh thee. It's even in your ears. It's the Word of faith. And if thou wilt believe it and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and down in your heart you know that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
And this is the message of life which God has given to us in this blessed book. All right, let's look at it and find out about this matter of the incarnation. My text says that the Father sent the Son. My text says that the Son came to deliver a message, a word, and they wouldn't accept his word. But my text says that he wrought many works, he did miracles, he manifested power. And the Lord says, if you won't believe what I say to you, look at what I'm doing, the works that I'm performing. They bear testimony of me. And when you see the works that I have performed here, then you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and that we are one. There are four major areas of revelation concerning our Savior in the Bible that prove to us that he is the incarnation of God. God became man. The second person of this trinity that we saw in our last message was sent by the Father to this earth that he might become a man. And we had God being incarnate in human flesh so that in Jesus Christ you had perfect manhood and the fullness of deity. The two were joined together in one person. And this person is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the centuries, and he is the Savior of the world. These four areas I may outline to you very simply, and once you get them, young people, you'll never forget. In the first place, in the scripture, Jesus Christ is called God. He's actually called God. In the second place, Jesus Christ manifests the attributes of God. He actually gives evidence of having the very characteristics and attributes that belong to deity. In the third place, he performs the work of God. There's a reference to that in the text very clearly. And in the fourth place, he is worshipped as God by his disciples and by his followers. Here are four great areas in the scriptures that testify to the incarnation of God, God with us, God come down and manifest in human flesh. First, Christ is called God. Second, he has the attributes of God. Third, he does the work of God. And fourth, he becomes the object of worship and he is worshipped as God by his disciples. Now let's look at these four areas very briefly together. There are text after text to which we might refer, but we think first of doubting Thomas, one of the disciples. 
And we know the story. He wasn't present when the Lord appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. But a week later, Thomas was with the disciples in the upper room when the Lord appeared. And Jesus Christ turned to Thomas and says, Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. Reach hither thy finger, Thomas, and touch me and see. And Thomas, don't be faithless. Thomas, you were with me. You were one of my disciples all through these years, these three and a half years that I was with you. Uh, Thomas, don't be faithless, but believing. And Thomas fell at the feet of our Savior, and he said, My Lord and my God. And then our Savior turned to the doubting Thomas, and he said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. But here was Thomas, one of the twelve, actually calling Jesus Christ God. And falling down in his presence when he saw him alive after his passion. Another beautiful illustration of this, of course, is in the testimony of the Apostle Paul. In the epistle to the Romans, in the ninth chapter, the Apostle Paul is speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ of the flesh, of the seed of David. And then he said, Who is over all? God, blessed forever. I might say that in the Revised Standard Translation, Revised Standard Version of Translation, they put a period there and they try to break the force of that. But you can't do it in the Greek. Who is over all? God, blessed forever. Now these are the disciples, these are the believers who recognized him. This text which we have in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, in which Jesus has been in this conflict with the religious hierarchy of his day, and he's been disputing with them. And... Uh, he turns and says, Why say thee, uh, of whom God has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest? Because I said, I am the Son of God. Here were the Jews, the Jewish leaders, beloved. They were monotheists. They, they believed in only one God, and this God was Jehovah, and they were very zealous. And they had been taught to lay aside all other thoughts except just this one God. And now comes this person, Jesus of Nazareth, and he speaks of himself as the Son of God. And that title which was messianic, that title which carried in it the great content that he was God himself, these unbelieving Jews were able to comprehend, and they accused him of blasphemy. And beloved, it was blasphemy if he were not God. But if he is God, as of course we believe that he is, it was not blasphemy. Why do you call me uh, 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 guilty of blasphemy whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? Why, he said, I'd be a liar like unto the rest of you men if I didn't bear testimony to the fact that I am the Son of God. And do you know, beloved, as you listen to our Savior's ministry, 
He was constantly saying that he wanted everybody to believe that the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me. He had come from the Father and he'd come into this world to carry out a mission and to do a work which was the work of redemption that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might have a message of life eternal. You remember when he was on trial and he was asked by the judge, Art thou the Son of God? And he said, Thou sayest, Yes, I am. In the court, he bore testimony to the fact that he had come and that he was the Son of God. No one else has the right to make such a claim. He alone is the only Son, the only begotten of the Father. And beloved, we are a people who believe that. He was not lunatic. He was not some form of schizophrenic as Schweitzer indicated or something of that sort. Oh no, beloved, he was exactly what he said he was. He was exactly what the scriptures say that he is because God has given us a revelation and God has given us his son and his son is true and his word is true and abideth forever. He's called the son of God. He's called God. And if he isn't beloved, then Christianity is the biggest hoax, it's the biggest fraud, it's the biggest delusion that's ever been perpetrated upon the human race. But if it is true, and we know that it is true, then it is the glorious message, and this is the great delight of the people of God, and we must carry this message and honor the name of our Savior upon this earth in everything that we do. For Christ Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. Well, last night after I preached that message out there and I gave that invitation and these souls began to come out there in that field in Pennsylvania. And we stayed and talked. It was very late when we left and we'd taken along with us uh, one of my daughters and her two little grandchildren. Of course, they'd gone back to the car and went to sleep. And we came and got in the car and I got started driving. A little boy kind of rolled over and he looked up at me and he says, you know, he says there was a... A, a lady, I think he said by me, he says, she was talking to the person next to her about Jesus. Little boy went over and went to sleep. Oh, beloved, to talk to somebody about Jesus. To tell somebody that the Son of God has come. To tell somebody that God sent his son into this world. He sanctified him. He sent him down here. And here he was, bearing testimony to his own name and to his own person. In the second place, I told you that the Bible represents the Lord Jesus Christ as having the attributes of God. Let me touch on that just briefly. It runs all through the scriptures, of course. You know, in the third chapter of John, where we have, he must be born again, in John 3, 16. The Lord Jesus Christ says, If I tell you of earthly things, and ye believe not, 
How will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? For no man hath ascended up into heaven, save the Son of Man who came down from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. Well, how could he be down here and in heaven at the same time? And he came down from heaven. He knows all about heaven. He knows all about these things. There you have his knowledge. There you have his presence. There you have his spirit. There you have the attribute of deity attached to this person as he speaks. And you cannot possibly explain it. The Son of Man who came down from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. And if I tell you about earthly things, and he was telling them there about the miracle of the new birth. Beloved, the new birth takes place down here on this earth. It doesn't take place in heaven. In fact, everybody in heaven has been born again because you can't get there unless you've been born again. The miracle of the new birth, regeneration, passing from death unto life, takes place here on this earth. And it takes place when the gospel is preached. And men believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And Christ said, if I tell you of the work of the Spirit in regeneration, if I tell you what the Spirit of God does right here on this earth, and you won't believe that, how will you believe if I tell you what's taking place in heaven? He was an authority on salvation down here. And because he came from heaven and because he was in heaven, all at the same time, he is the authority on heaven itself. By the way, I, this new confession that the Presbyterians are adopting, the confession of 1967, is really stirring up the Presbyterians in their pews. And I was out in western Pennsylvania on one night this week, and I ran into a group of Presbyterians, and one of the men came to me and says, you know, I read that thing, Dr. McIntyre, and the Presbyterians don't have any heaven to go to. They've left heaven out. They've left hell out. Uh, their whole emphasis is upon the activistic program now. Oh, beloved, if you don't have any heaven to go to, if in this life only ye have hope in Christ, ye are of all men most miserable, and you're to be pitied. And it's not until we get right with God that we can be right with our fellow men. And it's not until we answer the questions of eternity that we can get any real answers to the question of time and presence. Jesus Christ had the attributes of God. As he ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Therefore I commission you to go. And all the power that heaven has, all the power that God has manifest in the works of his creation and the evidence of his providences, all of that is in the hand of Jesus Christ. And only God can hold that. He has the attributes. He has these characteristics that belong only to deity and they were in him and he could speak of them because he was the incarnation of God. In the third place I told you that he did the works of the Lord. He did the works of God. He was active in the work of creation. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things that were made were made by him, and he is before all things, and by him all things are held together. The creation, the wonders that are revealed in nature in which you and I delight and marvel because we see God's mind in his handiwork, that's all Christ. That's all Christ. And I stand on that seashore there at Cape May and oh how you love to look out across that magnificent ocean and you see the blue and the gray and the reflection of the sky and the sunrises and the sunset but here come these old waves and sometimes they roll with a tremendous billow and they crack and they break on and you can hear the sound. And then I'm reminded of those mighty words of our Lord and of the book of the scripture. Peace be still. Who spoke to the waves? Even the winds and the waves obey his will. And it's God who says to these rolling, billowing, thundering waves, Thus far shalt thou go and no further. And here shalt thou pride head be stayed. Our Savior is in these things. Our Savior is the God of power. He's the God of creation. He's the one who could spit on the ground and take a little ball of clay and put it on the eyes of a man who was born blind. He didn't even have the eyeballs necessary to see and just touch it. And the eyeballs were created and he gave that man sight. He's the one who stood by the grave of Lazarus. And he said, roll away the stone. And they said, oh, no, no, he's been dead four days. And by this time, and you get that word there in the Greek, he stinketh. Jesus said, said I not unto you that ye would see mighty things. And they rolled the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, anahistomy, that's the word. Stand up, Lazarus. Stand up straight, Lazarus. And Lazarus stood up straight. And he was bound hand and foot with his grave clothes. And Jesus said, let him loose, untie his clothes, and let him go. And they did. This is Jesus Christ who does the works of God. He can raise the dead. He has the power of God to do it. What manner of man is this? Never a man spake like this man. Oh, he says, if you don't believe my words, if you won't believe what I say unto you, believe me for the very work's sake, for they testify of me. And the works which he wrought bear testimony that he is the Son of God. And all you young people in college, you're going to run into all these attacks. You're going to see them everywhere. We've got them on every hand today. But remember, young people, you're dealing not with some naturalistic phenomena. You're dealing with the supernatural. That's come into human history. And God who created the universe sent his son down here. And he brought him in here by supernatural means in order that he might become man and work a work in our behalf that we might be delivered from death. And the greatest work that the Son of God ever did, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest thing he ever did was he went to the cross and then they put him in a tomb. But the grave could not hold him. And on the third day he came out. An empty tomb. And Paul says in the opening of the great epistle to the Romans, 
that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And you've heard me say, and you've heard it over and over again, everything we have, everything we believe, everything that Christianity represents depends on that one event. If it happened, everything's true. If it didn't, everything's a fake. If Christ be not risen, your faith is vain, your preaching's vain, everything is vain, you're yet in your sins. But now he is, and by this mighty work of opening the tomb, coming out of the grave after he went under the power of it, that he might pay the penalty for our sins, you and I have a Christ who is the Son of God. Now in the fourth place, he became the object of worship. Do you know these Jewish leaders, these Jewish disciples, they believed in only one God, only one God. And this is the phenomena which is so puzzling to men who study these early records. They say, well, they believed in only one God. Well, then, of course, they just couldn't possibly believe that this man was God. Impossible. No, beloved, it was not impossible because God sent his son down here and that's who he is and that's who he was and the disciples saw it and they worshipped him. And when he came into their midst after he'd been raised from the dead and they saw him, what do you read? They worshipped him. And that second Sunday when Thomas was in their midst and he came in through the doors, the doors being closed, and he came into their midst and he says, give me some fish. And they gave him some fish. And when Thomas fell down and worshipped him, they all, they worshipped him. And then you read that when he got ready to leave, he went out to the top of the Mount of Olives, and you find the record there that he ascended up into heaven. And after he went into the heavens, the first thing the disciples did was to have a worship service. They worshipped him. They bowed down and they knew that they had been in the presence of the Son of the living God who'd come into this world to deal with sin and to give to you and me life and purpose and hope and comfort and to give unto us victory over death. Four things. They called him God. He had the attributes of God. He did the works of God. He received the worship of the people of God. And we give him that worship too. We worship the Son of God. In our own creed, the confession, we have a whole section dealing with Christ the mediator. Let me read you from it. How beautiful it states the case. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being equal and eternal of one substance with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance so that two whole perfect and distinct natures the Godhead and the manhood were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion composition or confusion which person is very God and very man yet one Christ 
the only mediator between God and man. Oh, beloved, how absurd and how ridiculous it is that these liberals come along when they don't believe it in order to get around it they say we must rephrase these things in the terms of the language that modern man can understand no beloved Jesus hasn't changed the incarnation hasn't changed the purpose for which it all was done hasn't changed death hasn't changed sin hasn't changed regeneration hasn't changed and if you'll preach the word men will be regenerated by it now look at the next paragraph the Lord Jesus in his human nature thus united to the divine was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell to the end that being holy harmless undefiled and full of grace and truth he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety which office he took not unto himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who put all power and judgment into his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. This office the Lord Jesus Christ did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge. He was made under the law, did perfectly fulfill it. He was not a sinner, you see endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul and was painfully and most painfully sufferings in his body was crucified and died was buried and remained under the power of death yet saw no corruption on the third day he arose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered with which also he ascended into heaven and there sitteth at the right hand of the father making intercession and shall return to judge men and angels at the last day. How beautiful, how true. Oh, your pulpit's dedicated to it, and your pastor stands here under the most solemn oaths and vows which he took that he believes the Scripture to be the Old and the New Testament, and I preach to you not a dialogue. I preach to you not some opinions. I preach to you not what I myself conceive or have found to think what might be the word of God as I look through this book. I preach to you the revelation of God. And every word that I give to you, you can test and search out by the study of your own scriptures. And this is the message of life. This is the message of power. My, this book came out Altizer, the gospel of Christian atheism. And you know what he says here? The summary that is here that, that God died when uh, Christ came into the world and now God has been completely diffused in all of nature and so has Christ. May I read you? The honest atheist who lives forlornly bereft of faith will want to understand this revolutionary and definitive statement about Christ who is totally present and alive in our midst today embodied now in every human face. Just any human face you look at, there he is. That's all that's left of him. And that's where we find him. No, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ becomes embodied in your life only when you are born again. 
and he now sits at the right hand of God in power and in great glory. Bishop Pike's new book came out this week that everybody's been talking about and Bishop Pike in this new book discusses Jesus Christ. And may I just read you this paragraph? Here we are. He refers here about Jesus being called God or being equal to God. It would have been difficult for Jesus himself, so, so thoroughly imbued with Judaism, so to conceive of himself. The most basic tenet of Judaism, distinctive as among the Mediterranean religions, was monotheism and the utter rejection of the idea of a God in human form. But if it can be imagined that Jesus so conceived of himself, even with all his courage, it would have been unthinkable to utter it. From the moment he would have said it, he would have had no chance to do any teaching or make any impression on his fellow Jews. So the bishop rejects the deity of Christ. But you know, I think he made a very large impression on his fellow Jews. Especially when Doubting Thomas fell down and says, My Lord and my God. He has made a great impression all through the centuries as he has been preached. And the power of God has accomplished this message. And Jews and Gentiles alike have been made one in Jesus Christ. Remember years ago when we were in our great struggle here in our own church, I wrote an exposure of this modernism and I went to our Presbyterian. I just picked this up as I went out to Seattle because we were going to introduce it in our trial out there. And let me read you one of the things we were talking about there and it, it's very interesting. Here's the Women's uh, Board of Foreign Missions literature that the women refused to use. It was The Way of Discovery by Winford Kirkland. Quote, There has been only one human being brave enough to release within himself the full creative power of believing that God was his father. But unless Jesus' method of making himself divine can be imitated, his achievement is a mockery rather than a challenge. No, he can't be imitated, beloved, because there's only one God and he only came in Christ and he's the son of God. Now I come to the great question of all, that virgin birth. And it's there that men are flouting the truth of God. And yet they'll say, well now, Jesus had some creative power and he confessed that God was his father. But when did this happen? When did this take place? Well, they don't tell you, they don't know. Somewhere he maybe had the idea. No, beloved. The God who sent the Son of God was indeed the Son of God from the moment he entered this realm. He was indeed the fullness of deity from the moment he set foot upon this earth and from the moment he entered the womb of that virgin to become perfect man, the fullness of deity was there and that sinless humanity was presented to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And God has been pleased to reveal unto us the magnificent accounts of his coming, the work of the Spirit of God, the conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And these details so pure, so clean, so holy, so wholesome have been given unto the church that we might be delivered from filth and misrepresentations. And God has given unto us the account of how his Son became man in order that when we worship him we might delight in the fact that he's all 
always been the Son of God and that he was always united after his birth with human nature and that he came as the mediator, God and man, to bring us back to the Father that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled, that we might have a faith which will be victorious over death. Did you know this is a doctrinal sermon? I'm trying to instruct you people. I want you to understand that we get it from the Bible and we believe it because it's in the Bible and we accept it because God's revealed it unto us and we listen to the Son of God. And when he says, I am the Son of God, we don't say he blasphemes. We say he is indeed the Lord of glory who entered into this earth to deliver us and to give us hope and to give us eternal life. Heaven and earth will pass away and the struggles of our day are but for a moment. But oh, the eternity that we shall have with Christ and the redemption that he shall give unto us. New bodies, glorified bodies, a new heavens, a new earth. There'll be righteousness here upon this earth in that day when he whose right it is to reign shall be the prince of peace and he shall be the delight of the people of Israel of all ages. Imagine the froth. Imagine the superficial talk about God being dead. Imagine a generation of intelligent men entertaining such ideas. And yet we're being told that it is the intelligent people today that want this thing. No. All the treasures of wisdom all the fullness of knowledge is in the virgin-born, sinless, spotless Lamb whom the Father sent down here that we might believe in him, that he might be to us our strength, our comfort, our life, that we might serve him, if necessary, that we might die for him, because he is the Son of God, your Savior our God. Let us pray. <clears throat> our Father, we thank thee for sound doctrine, and thou hast told us to give the people sound doctrine, that they might be established in the faith. We might be protected and delivered from all the snares that abound. And Father, we thank thee that Jesus Christ is all and everything to us. For Christ's sake, amen.